Hi, this is Celine from Plastic Tide. We combine adventure and science to address plastic pollution via stand-up paddleboard expeditions. Today, we encourage you to avoid single-use plastics, whether it be saying no straw please, joining the refill revolution, or visiting your local bulk section with your own container. Follow us or reach out at Plastic Tide. That was a message from Celine, one of our listeners. If any of you have a public service announcement or just have something funny, like a good little message that you want played at the beginning of the show, you can record it on voice memos right now, and then you can email it to me. My email is kyle at kyle.surf. You can also go to my website, kyle.surf, to give feedback on the show. The waves have been absolutely cooking lately. Cooking! Oh, my muscles are sore. I got a massage the other night, and the woman touched my triceps and said, Oh, oh, wow, wow, uh, you're really tight. Yeah. I'm walking around like the hunchback of Notre Dame. I surfed Mavericks the other day for the first time in a very long time, and I will tell you, there is nothing like getting yourself into some butt-puckering surf to really rearrange your priority list. I haven't surfed that wave in quite some time. And afterwards, everything in my life felt more manageable. It's amazing what getting ourselves into a frightening situation does for our psyche. It's, it's counterintuitive, right? Getting ourselves into a difficult, frightening situation should, you would think, make us more neurotic and anxious. But... I'm feeling mellow. I'm feeling good. I have a blanket of well-being surrounding me. This episode of the podcast is with Ramon Navarro. Ramon is a Chilean big wave surfer. He is an environmental activist, and he is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. I really enjoyed the conversation. Before we get going, I want to thank the guys over at Core Surf for supporting this episode of the show. These guys listened to the podcast. They reached out to me. They said, hey, we make beautiful bamboo surf racks. For my entire life, my surfboard quiver has looked like a disorganized rat's nest. And these guys sent me some of the the racks, and now I feel like a real grown-up. So uh, it's called CoreSurf, C-O-R, surf.com. I ran into some guy in the water, and he's like, hey, I tried your thing and went to CoreSurf, C-O-R-E.com, and it, it wasn't working. So it's C-O-R, surf.com. And by typing in the code name Kyle30, you will get 30% off all of their products. Holidays are around the corner, so gear up on surf racks, wetsuit changing mats, uh, towels, awesome shit. I totally vouch for these guys, and they're super cool. So, Kyle30, Core Surf, enjoy and have at it. If this is your first time tuning in to the podcast, welcome. Some other episodes that you might enjoy are episode 56 with Albie Lair, episode 42 with Kai Lenny, and this one. So, I'm going to stop yammering, and without further ado, please welcome Ramon Navarro. My cat is going crazy right now, by the way. 
Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. And away we go. I thought you were going to get taken out on that set coming in on the stand-up paddleboard this morning. Almost. Almost. <laughs> Almost. That was sketchy. You were about to make a break for it, and then you saw a set coming. Yeah. <laughs> I got like paddled back. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get wet my eyes, so it was kind of like scary. So you just got the LASIK surgery? I get the surgery, yeah. In Chile? Yeah. In Chile, yes. Like a, a week ago, actually. Yeah, you, your right eye still looks like a... Big blood blisters in it. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I, would, I have an ice problem since like I'm starting surfing pretty much. Too much sun. I never use sunglasses in the beginning. So I get to that point like every time I surf for more than than two days straight, the thing is like so much red and uh, sensitive. In, yeah, in too the sensitive. Site. So there's no way I can surf. So I have to stop for two or three days. A couple of times I remember when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, I had to just go straight to the black room, no light for the whole day. And actually couldn't even sleep because you feel like you have sun inside your eyes. So Sunburn eyes. Yeah. You're like a vampire. <laughs> kind of like, like that. I've heard of people having to do that on boat trips in the Mentwise because there's so much sun and so much glare for multiple days on end. It seems like an issue. It is an issue, actually, yeah. You it have green eyes, too. Sometimes. Sometimes green, sometimes brown. Yeah, I kind of like change. <laughs> they're, so, they're so majestic. <laughs> you get lost in your eyes. <laughs> What's your uh, heritage? Where are your parents from? My parents from um, Chile. From Chile? Yeah. And great-grandparents or grandparents? and All from Chile, yeah. All from Chile. Yeah. And but then, but uh, you never know, actually, because um, there are no indigenous from Chile. You know, like, mostly people in Chile is coming from, like, Spain or... or um, or Europe, whatever country of Europe it is. Uh, I believe my mime line is kind of like Vikingos because she's, you know, she has eyes kind of like you. Yeah. And uh, Blue eyes. Blue eyes. And uh, she's kind of like, lead, not blondie, but, you know, more a little clearer hurt. So maybe there's one line there coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't really know. I don't really know. Do you no. ever ask your parents about where where they don't know? They don't know. They don't know either. Yeah. But mostly Europe. I believe mostly Europe. Yeah. yeah. Mostly the, the people that they live in Chile. They they say supposedly they are Chileans. They're they're from Europe. Right. Yeah. It was in the uh, was it seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds that the Europeans came to Chile, and was that when that like the big dissension of Europeans came in? Yep. Yeah. Basically, yeah. That's kind of like. Um, the main history, uh, there is a history, I don't really like it, because, um, you know, the local people that used to be there, it's the same history. About United States. The, the yeah. whole war, pretty much. Yeah. The whole war, pretty much. Uh, so, they're trying to looking for gold, and uh, basically what happened, they killed most of the people, they used to be the only locals there. Right. And uh, now everyone kind of like, yeah, I'm from Chile or whatever, but uh, basically we descends from European people. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a strange history. Also, um, the wars that happened in the was it the um, the war that Chile went to the north to gain territory. Uh, from Peru. Yep, and right? Argentina to the side too. And Argentina to the side. So yeah. correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on this, but but Chile tried to gain territory in the north for mining territory, right? Was it for copper mining? No, those years was Salitre. What's Salitre? Salitre is the um I don't know how to say it in English. This is wine uh, white thing that that used to be really important for um agriculture years back. Okay. Now they do it synthetic, and so no more people okay. use it anymore. But it's basically salt uh, from the ocean. That, that salt mines. It's kind of like salt. Okay. It is kind of salt. I don't know exactly what uh, the word it is in uh, in English, but um, that used to be really popular there. And uh, the other thing that used to be really popular in those years, and a lot of people working in the north of Chile with that, was the guano, which is like a... The bird shit? Yeah, the bird shit. Yeah. Yep. It's really good for agriculture too. Yeah. So they used to be really popular and then there was a lot of slave working on that thing in those years and uh, sending to Europe and sending to everywhere. So um, I hear history actually there is um, boats going to Rapa Nui because the Rapa Nui people they are big, you know, powerful and they went there and um, grabbed people as slaves and bring it to the north of Chile to put it working in the, in the wino thing. Wow. So it's crazy history. I, I meet one guy, actually. This was, um, I have to be maybe 15, 18 years ago. I met one guy. He he was more than 90 years old. And we met in Santiago because I have a surgery in my knee. And uh, he was one of them. He said this one day, one boat show up. A uh, lot of people coming down with guns and just putting people on the boat. And... Uh, and working in the north of Chile, between Chile and Peru, and working in the wine factories. Yeah, driest place in the world. Driest place. Can you imagine if you're a Rapa Nui and bring it to the driest place in the world, the Atacama Desert, working in pretty much the whole day with nothing green around? It had to be crazy. Yeah. But he working for like 10 years there, and then he had the chance to escape and you know, go wow. back to Rapa Nui. So that lasted for a long time, and then it was... Um, at the end of the 1800s, I believe, that Chile went to war with Peru to gain more territory. Exactly. And at that time, Bolivia had a coastline. Exactly. Right? Yep, that's right. And there's still a day in Bolivia every every year, right, where it's the, like, give us back our coastline day. That's a, there is a main problem between Chile and Bolivia that is still fighting until these days. The president of Bolivia, every time asking for his piece of ocean and, um, and there's there never be like actually fight in these new days, but uh, there used to be years back. The old region of Antofagasta used to be from Bolivia. So and then um, in those years when the Chile fight, in, the, the, I guess they won the Antofagasta fight and then went all the way to Arica. So that's the border right now. Arica is the northern, the northernmost city yep. of Chile. Yep. And what is amazing ways, anyways. Right. And it's good ways there, but uh, um, that's where El Gringo is. El Gringo, El Buey. Yeah. So the border of Chile is all the way through Arica. And um, so that's when they blocked Bolivia and and um, finished pretty much the war all the way through the north. And then how did Argentina get involved in that war? Because Argentina is way down to the south. No, it, it wasn't that war. That was a separate war. The separate one, yeah. That, that I saw maps, I, I believe, for it. Maybe, I don't know exactly what year. It had to be like 600 maybe. 
1,600. Yeah. And, um, Chile used, was all the way to Argentina and the, and the Atlantic. You know, the map went all the way up. So, I mean, all the way to the side. So they gained territory in the north, but then they lost territory in the south. Exactly, exactly. So there was fighting for so many years on that until they get to that point that Andes is going to be the border, which is making a lot of sense, too. It's kind of like a right. natural border. And uh, this is, is basically what it is for Chile right now. Right. And was that war fought over forestry land? What is it? Well, uh, forestry, because I know that down in the, the Araucanía region and the south, one of the main exports is trees. The, the it's forestry. Those years, no, at all, because those years the the, the forest uh, industry was wasn't alive yet. There was only um, native trees in those years. The 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 main change in Chile happened with uh, Pinochet show up, and. Uh, he basically, well, there is a little point of view of this, what I'm going to say right now, because, you know, Pinochet is kind of like the more, for some people, the more maybe best man in, in Chile in those years. And mostly the people, when I'm on my side, the worst thing ever happened with Chile was Pinochet. Yeah, he so, ran the country like an iron fist. Basically, yeah. There was a lot of uh, people disappearing in those years if they were speaking out against Pinochet. Exactly. Someone like yourself, yep. who's an activist speaking out in those years, would have most likely been disappeared. Easy. Easy. For sure. I mean, no Where'd question. Ramon go? Oh. I don't know. He <laughs> disappeared one night. Yeah. Never yeah. came back. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's, that's 100% true. And brutal stuff, like the, the antics of that regime. I've heard stories about musicians who um, would be singing songs against Pinochet, and he would have the army cut off their hands. Yeah, that was Victor Jara. Victor yeah. Jara. Yeah, I love his, his song too. Uh, yeah, he's one of them. And it's just, just crazy times, you know. Uh, there's mostly people when I'm starting talking about this, like, oh, you can, you are not allowed to talk about it because you, you wasn't in there. But um, but you can read, you can study, you can see videos, you can talk with people. And um, especially if your family was kind of close to that, you understand, you know. Um, I have family my my dad my dad and my mom they said they're running away to the kind of secret beach and just living there they don't want to even show up into the town because like there's mostly the friend they just get killed yeah you know? so were they in santiago and then they no they no my, my dad my, my whole family is from the beach okay the whole history of my family so they still live from pichelemu bucalemu which is bucalemu and jico is about 30 30 40 minutes south from pichelemu they used to live in, in those places those years. So they say that they just escape and live in between caves. They have a little rucos and tiny little houses in, and live from the ocean, no problem. You know, they don't need nothing else. And they don't want to show up to the to the cities because those military is just like... So dangerous. Really dangerous, really dangerous. And um, my more close um, thing I have in my family was one of my... Um, <coughs> How do I say? It is my mom, sister, no, yeah, sister. She 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 had babies that that year, the '73. So she had uh, nephews. Oh, no, no nephews, twins. Twins, twins. So she had twins. The twins have like one month old, and the golpe came and the whole thing. So there was no more food in the markets, and there's military looking around everywhere. So. She gets so nervous because she don't have uh, the milk for the babies and everything, so the the milk breast just cut down for the nervous, and uh, there was no food, 
you know, you cannot find there was she never found food for more than a month and the two babies just you know, they died. died. They died. Wow. So I was um my mom told me this story all the time and they're, they're trying to figure out the way they eat but they basically they don't eat. So it was crazy times. I, I, I was um I wasn't there, but yeah. my mom told me those stories, you know? Yeah, so my mom uh, is from California, and mm-hmm. she tells me that during that time, this is before the internet, a time when you didn't get that much news on international relations, and Chile and Pinochet was a global story. What was happening in Chile in the 70s, the rest of the world knew about because the crimes against humanity were so egregious. Yep. Yeah, that's true. But it, there is a lot of theories about it too. I mean, and a lot of people talk the CIA was involved in the whole thing because this is gonna be the agenda. Was the president um, Pinochet broke down? Uh, there is a lot of people say it's gonna be the second or the third president in, in South America. They're gonna be communist, you know? Yes. So they wanna they don't don't the the CIA don't want a big revolution of communists. Maybe it can you know can get too bad for the whole war and um they kind of like. Yeah, so Salvador Allende was the president before Pinochet. Yep. And the CIA, the United States CIA, took uh, Allende out of power. And then Chile was was the capitalist experiment with a number of people who were economists, known as the Chicago Boys, to place Pinochet in power and and use this whole new economic system. And they would see how it was going to play out in Chile. Um, it's a good, very important history for people to know. The first time that I went down to Chile when I was 18 years old, my mom made me read a book on the history of Chile. Because oh, okay. she said, you're going down here, you should understand that in the 70s, the United States was very much responsible for a major part of history in Chile. It was yep. the CIA. Yeah, I, I don't want to go straight to that because, uh, you know, but... Uh well, it's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just it's yeah. just fact. It's, it's, it's true. This yeah. is this is what happened. Yeah, but uh, you know what? It, it is true. It is what happened. But uh, in Chile or in the news in Chile, just the thing came up a couple of years ago. You know, it was kind of like a under the table. You know? Right. Yeah. Was nobody know about it. I mean, and and nobody when I even asking about it. You know, so it was kind of like I knew this thing come what more no more than ten years. You know. Right. Because I'm starting reading and researching and things and wow. Wow. Crazy. Um, so at that time, also was uh, was Pinochet going to war with Argentina? Was that when a lot of the land was lost? You know, they have one war, no, but no, in the, in the Pinochet time, would, no, the, the the loss of, of that piece of land was years, years it was before. Back. Yeah. It was before, yeah, okay, it was way earlier than that. And the, the Pinochet time was more like I said, the revolution about the um, he wanna do like produce more money for the country and that was the whole environmental thing just completely fucked up the country in those years so what he basically he made is giving all the power or the piece of land to his friends or families or or you know um, economy guys or rich people in those years and um and he keep all the country basically you know he, the minorities going to companies to time working there and the the whole industrial forest is start Right with the revolution of the trees and and the pod mills and the whole thing, so it was like Chile. They used to be for all the Chileans, and then when Pinochet showed up, just like just a group of friends, basically. 
So that was when the that was when mining started becoming the main export in the north, um, which even still to this day is Chile's largest export. And then forestry to the south in that the beautiful regions they started exporting a lot of forestry to. Um, today they still export um, to the United States, to Japan, to Argentina, to everywhere, to everywhere, to everywhere. Yeah. So that's the controversy around it is that Chile did become this this major um, materials economy where they would export resources out to the rest of the world um, but it was done in a through a dictatorship yeah I believe right he, yeah yeah that's true but uh, the thing is like what happened now is we pay the price for that you know because now we're starting to figure out like all the mineries are really dirty business you know all the the pine trees is a completely dirty business you know? yeah they they dump all the shit in the ocean and everything so in those years nobody even think about it basically the whole world is the same but um what we have now is like a beautiful country and we're trying to just protect a couple piece of this but uh, mostly the country is already destroyed by the the pine industry and the whole north is destroyed by the mineries yeah so now it's like kind of like people trying to figure out the way how they can clean up a little bit the business yes know, the miner is trying to figure out how it's gonna be because like people understand now i guess um um the resources one day is gonna finish you know minor ex- uh, is the main the main thing so and the tourists it go up 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 every day so people uh, starting to figure out the way or people uh, understand the tourist is gonna be the main business of chile in the future so, I agree with you. There's, for a long time, it was pedal to the metal. We're going to take as much resources as we can and make as much money as we can without having very much foresight. This is not an uncommon story that happens all around the world. Um, but as you say, these are finite resources, and sooner or later, it's going to run out, and the environment pays the price for this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Chile, for, for those people who haven't been to Chile... It is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And the diversity of it from the north to in the Atacama Desert all the way down to the south where you have these majestic mountain ranges and trees that lead right up to the ocean. And there's seals jumping in this cold water and there's fishermen who will you know, take their, their uh, boats out every single morning. It's a very crisp and unique and majestic country. And the diversity of it is also what makes it so unique. Mm-hmm. So, for so, what what would you like to see happen moving forward? Like, what's a Chile that you can envision um, in the future that you would like to see? Kind of like a dream come true for yeah, me. Yeah. What's the dream come true for Ramon? Well, that is that is kind of like big dream, but. Uh, just people understand how important it is to take care of modern nature in my country, basically. Because uh, we have lost so many things already, you know. Uh, fishing, they used to be amazing in Chile years back. My dad said he get corvinas or he get all kinds of fish every day, no problem. Now, because the commercial fishing and industrial fishing is, is so big there, there is pretty much no more fish in the ocean. You know, it's really hard now to get, like, a, a good season of fish. Um, the local fishermen, I, I talk about like tiny little fishermen, how they call it, um, like j- just the fishermen with the line, yeah, no boats, right? 
Off the shore. Yeah. Uh, they used to live from the ocean pretty good. You know, they have a uh, pretty rich life. And now th there is no more jobs for that. Mo mostly the resources just disappear. But it is a hope because you can see, like, when you do a protection areas, the resources are getting back really early. I mean, quickly. Very quickly. Very, very quickly. And that's, that's something really important. And we have places in Chile, like, um, fishermen understand that, like Juan Fernandez, uh, Robinson Crusoe Island, those islands that there's, there's fishermen really understand that and they protect the resources so much. And the diversity of fish and, and seafood and mussels and everything is massive. Actually, one of the more places that, that I ever see sea life in my life. Really? And um, so that is one hope. But for that hope, um, we need to big things happen, you know, like we need big change. Right now, the the whole um, industry of fishing in Chile is just terrible. They, they're running by seven families in Chile, like rich families, the same one run the pine trees industry, the same one run the, um, the gas industry. So they own pretty much the whole ocean about like really um, corrupt laws they made in the last few years. So right now they they have pretty much um, control all the fish in Chile. There is a lot of people and there's a lot of uh, legal thing trying to broke that law down because it's, uh, everyone can see it's not legal at all. So if that happened, there is a hope, you know, that if it, there is a hope because all the regulation now going to the the, the small fishermen because they are ensured that there is control to them. But out of the ocean, Chile doesn't have the, key, the the tools to control that. Right. That's the big thing about regulating fishing is who's going to stop you. Right now, they say Chile is going gonna, is gonna to be one of the biggest um, protectors of the ocean and, and open ocean, you know, between Rapa Nui, between Juan Fernandez. They're going to protect a couple more islands in the south. So it's going to be 200 miles of coast, I mean, of open ocean and not allowed to fish in. It sounds great, you know, like, wow, they say this is, I believe it's going to be the 33% of the ocean, the Chilean waters is going to be protected to commercial fishing. Sounds epic, kind of like yeah. a dream come true, like I say, but is it Chile have the tools to do that? That's kind of like the main question, you know. What happened if a Japanese boat just broken in there and fishing? Who's going to stop it? Who's going to stop it, you know? Who's going to go there and actually give the ticket? They say it's satellital things and they're trying to figure out a way. But um, actually, how gonna work in the moment is the main question. Okay, but the laws are changing, and are you, and you're in touch with some of these high up people in government, like the Ministry of Environment and the officials that actually write some of these laws. Is that correct? Is that correct? I mean, um, we starting with the kind of like a, like a, keeping the first question you asking me, what, what is the dream come true? I'm studying. It's crazy how we're getting to the environmental things because mostly people say that you are environmentalist, and it's like no, at all. Man. I'm just, I'm, I'm a surfer. I'm a fisherman, and I love my place. So I'm starting to work in and and protect Punta de Lobos, which is for me iconic, not just for the waves, just in, pretty much in my heart. My family used to live there. They used to fish in the first family used to fish there, and. Uh, You've been in Lobos, it's a magic place, you know. It's, it's, there's not many places like that in the world. So I'm starting fighting to protect this little point like 15 years ago, and, and I was like, you know what, the, the whole population of Pichilemu is starting growing up because it's good waves. It's actually, surfers make more popular. So the price go up, and the point was kind of like the point of the diamond, pretty much. And um, 
we're starting to realize if it, we don't protect the point, nobody's going to do it for us, and it's going to be just more buildings like it is everywhere now in Lobos. So in the beginning, we started just like talk with the owner and say, like, you know what, if you're building something here, you're not going to be happy here. Like we do all kinds of things to try to figure out the way to protect it until we get to that one point. Uh, we just figured out we need to raise the money and buy the point. It's going to be the only way to protect it because in Chile, there's no laws to protect places that are iconic or they have some value um, for sport or views. or Right. Yeah, there's no park system set up like there is in the United States where there are national monuments and state um, state parks that you can't build on through legal legislation. And to paint the picture for people, Punta de Lobos is in Pichilemu, which is your hometown. It's a big point, and there are houses leading up to the point, but on the point itself, there's very little development. And there's, um, you'll walk down this little pathway, and you'll jump off into the ocean, and there's a lot of big bull kelp that will hit your surfboard as you're jumping in, and you have to do this little scattered dance from the bottom of the trail at the end of this point onto this island. And there's this little island that has the two iconic morros, right? Mm -hmm. The two huge rocks. And you walk between the rocks and then you time it. And it's super sketchy. I've almost (laughs) died a couple times trying to (laughs) time this one. But you're on this little island and you wait for a set to clear. And then when it goes flat... You scurry out and you jump off the end and then you're right at the tip of the top of the lineup. And then the waves come through and it's a left-hand point break and you can catch a wave from the top of the point all the way to the beach that is maybe like a three-minute... I mean, you could catch a three-minute wave out there. It's pretty long. Long wave. Yeah. I've caught... I want to say I've caught the longest wave of my life at Punta Lobos. (laughs) And when it's big, you can get it all the way through. All the way through. Yeah. And then when you look back up on the hill, all you see right now pretty much are um, cactus and native vegetation. And it's still very, has that very rural and raw feeling to it. Yeah. Yeah. So at a certain point, there was a development proposed on Punta de Lobos. Is that correct? Is that correct? And they have already approved a project to do like... There's going to be like six cabanas, but uh, under the dirt, they're going to broke the cliff to put the cabanas there. And um, they're going to have a parking lot under the, the earth. They say, they say that if you're on the road, you're not going to see the, the the construction. But if you're on the water and, you know, you're going to see this, how they destroy the whole point, the cliff, you know. They want to put the cabanas in the cliff. So we get to that point when that project was approved by the owner of the land. And, um, and he just wanted to start to make it happen, you know. And uh, I was on a lot of crazy things happened. That guy had a car accident. So he had uh, kind of like a problem with money. So he had put on sale the land. So the, so someone bought the, the the whole point? Yep. At one point. When was this? That was like, um, I had to say 2000, maybe. Yeah. In the beginning, a French grand, uh, guy buy the whole point, Jean Robert. As a good surfer, good people, he'd really take care of the of the point for all those years. But and then he had some trouble. He wanna move from Pichilemo out, so he moved to Tahiti, I guess. And um he put on sale the point. So this guy buy it and this guy make the project. He was kinda like ready to start in working on the project. He have a car accident 
So by the end, short story, he put on sale again. And then it's coming another French guy, buy again. And this guy uh, was, um, he had a construction company. He, he made big buildings in, in central of Chile. So he he was ready to, to do the project, you know. He said, I, I want to do something here, I don't know what, but uh, I buy this land and uh, I want my money back. So that's one like kind of like the main negotiation we have with him. And at one point, like, we put a lot of pressure, like, you know, I mean, you have to sell the thing because if you're a surfer, he's a surfer too, but uh, you have a different point of view. He want to just, he's a businessman pretty much. So we get we put a lot of pressure on him and say like you know what if you don't put this this lot in sale for us to protect it maybe you're gonna have a house here in front of this amazing way but you're even not gonna be allowed to surf you know <laughs> we get to kind of like communist point like uh, we want to protect that point so yeah bad. and it was basically the thing like my heart say like I want to protect this place no matter what so and then it started whole history of how to gonna figure out to get to the price and go, how we're going to raise the money and we're working for years on that until for some reason I ran into Patagonia uh, Chris Ivan introduced me, me in, into Patagonia and uh, the first thing I, I, I get into the Patagonia the first week I get like man I have this project I want to protect Punta de Lobos because blah 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 and uh, and the Malois brothers say you know what we want to make a movie about you because like all your surfing skills, the editing, and what all happened with you is just like a epic to make a movie, and and Patagonia is really proud to do that. And I say, I would love to make a movie. I'm, I'm not too old to have a movie already. I say because I, I'm I'm still dreaming and maybe do more contests and keep surfing. And but if you guys help me to make a movie to raise money and to show the people the problem and love us and, and buy the point, I'm accepted. So that's why the thing come up, the whole project come up. We make the movie, and at the same place, the same time, another guy from from Chile, who who is the owner of the Telalaya there, he figured out this. We are starting working to trying to buy the land. He had money, and uh, we had a lot of meetings with him. And uh, and one of the meetings, like he said, you know what, I wanna be with with you and your project. We're gonna protect the point. And I said, Fuck, you know what. It's crazy. This story is funny because um, he's my friend right now. But in those years, I was like, "Man, you just buy a point, uh, a piece of land here, and just destroy the dunes. You make a hotel here. This is not the way to do it, you know." So this is Nico Davis. This is Nico Davis, yeah. And he's a uh, millionaire Chilean. Yep. And he owns and built Hotel Alaya, yep. which is a nice hotel at the base of the point. Yep. But also very. Um, I want to say minimal, minimal in the yeah. in the way that it could have been built. Exactly. Right. It's it's yeah. one story hotel yeah. and it blends in to the bottom of the area, so it's difficult to see from the top of the point. Yeah, it's busy, it's difficult to see from the water actually. Right. But um, anyways, we had that meeting until he until this day he he laughing about it. The first meeting I had to him like, man, I don't trust in you at all. I mean, if you want to put money and buy the point, it needs to be like with a serious contract, and and uh, I'm not gonna trust in you at all until the contract is signed. And and uh, if you're gonna help in this, do it in the right way. Show me with act, you you're gonna protect the point. And had the Alaya been built at that they at that time? They were built in that they time. They built the the Alaya. Yeah. That must have been kind of a weird internal conflict for you we- because he's this millionaire who uh, even historically through 
through uh, Chilean history. There's an, an ice cream truck going by right now. We're down in Baja at Greg's house, and there's right out front a nice little point here, and there's a Mexican ice cream truck driving by <laughs> right now. Okay. So, yeah, anyways, so, he, he was kind of like the main enemy of everyone at that point. Yeah. Like, like, who is this guy, millionaire, just by... Yeah, he represents the 1% that's been destroying Chile, Chile's resources for the last 30 years. And then he says, oh, yeah, and I just built a, a hotel at the bottom of the point. Trust me, I want to buy the rest of this point, and I'm going to conserve it. Yep. Yeah, so it was this, this weird negotiation and this, like, a lot of tactics... Was years of my life. I, I believe I spent two years in just um, trying to figure out the way in the beginning how we're gonna protect the point. A lot of politician meetings, a lot of like tag with minister of um, um, bienes nacionales, which is take care of all open piece of land in Chile. And um, there is one day he showed up to the point like, man, this is the plane we wanna protect. You know, this is iconic two rocks that used to be indigenous people live here. You can see the shells. You can, you can find actually um, arrows point in the point. Really? You know, yeah, the people found it already. And uh, so I tried to explain to him the whole thing is like, okay. So they said there is nothing we can do here because this is a private land and the, the Pinochet, that was, uh, I remember exactly the day, the, the Pinochet law in the 86, they say um, every use, uh, no public use land cannot go against private lands. So we want to make this public, but the law said there is no way you can do whatever what happening here is a public because it's the entry of the point and everything. The owner of that land at that point was like, if you want to put a wall and nobody can enter to the point, he can do it. It was wow. legal. So, and he told me, like, because while filming this with him. So that path that I was talking about yeah. earlier, that you go down to enter Punta Lobos, could have theoretically had a wall put up against it yep. if one of the owners wanted that. Yeah. And yep. there's an opportunity to put, there's an opportunity for a huge hotel to go up there that I'm sure would be a major tourist attraction, which would sub subsequently destroy the point. For but sure. if you're looking at it like a businessman, that would have been a business move that would have been easy to make. Easy, easy. So, so we we'll get to that point, and he say, "Okay, turn off the camera." I'm gonna say, "Well, the only way you have to do it is raise the money by the point." But don't say that I say that. <laughs> that was the minister of of open lands in Chile. So, and then wait. So this was a meeting that you had with the minister of lands on the point, on the point, on the point, and when a friend wishes a journalist. And uh, we bring the TV and we're walking around the area, the whole region of Chile, trying to show him how important it is uh, to have free access to the people, to the beaches in Chile, you know. And uh, we go to Portecillo, it was closed. We go to Topocalmo, it was closed. We went to a couple of places in between Pichilemo North and so It's all with gates. These are places that all have already been developed. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not developed, but it's just private land. You're, right. not, you're not allowed to get in. There is a big waves around there too, but you're not allowed to get in, you know. So I bring the minister to this gate, and like, oh, I'm the minister. You have to open the gate, and, and just people working. They're like, no, you, you need to call the owner. So, with him, we do this TV program for like 30 minutes to, to show to the people how is Chile right now, which is basically is private land and with no access. Right, yeah. because a lot of people from Santiago or from from inland don't even know that this might be an issue, and that the beaches all around Chile are slowly becoming privatized. Exactly, exactly. You, you, you guys here 
you can walk through here, you know, you have access and in California to mostly the, the places you can walk through, mostly places in Chile now, it's like completely private. Well, this is even a good example. Right now we're down here in Baja and there are mostly private access roads going down through most of the areas around here. Yep. I mean, there's a f there are a few that are public access, but there weren't any type of regulations put into place to protect public access mm -hmm. to beaches. Mm -hmm. yep. So in Chile, you were raising awareness around the fact that this was happening, and you were meeting with the Ministry of, of Land Development, and he said, there's no way that we can protect beach access because this is private land. And then he said, turn the camera off. <laughs> yep. Unless you buy the land exactly. yourself. And then you turn it into some kind of a trust. Yep. That, so he he basically gave you the blueprint. Exactly. And so in that point was already talking with Nicolas and uh, I talked with him like, okay, you, you want to, you know, clean your name here. You want to work on this? Here's the opportunity. So we talking about, okay, how much it is? We talk with the guy, we do the first couple meetings, they put a price, and uh, I said, wow, this is a lot of money, but you know what? Let's do that. I can buy the land now, because I would say at, at that point I was already working on the movie. I said, I'm gonna raise money with the movie for the whole world trying to buy the point. To so say, okay, I give the money, we buy the point uh, under, uh, under my name first, and then we create a fundacion we come out with this whole idea and uh when you raise the money you give me back the money but i put like 25 percent of the money i put to the fundacion okay so fundacion is what is fundacion as an ngo okay so we created with nicolas and uh, a few more local people and lobos the way to protect the point that i try to make a short history because we in the beginning we create like Friends of Punta de Lobos and Lobos Por Siempre campaign. We created so many things to trying to figure out the way and protect it and protect it and protect it. But uh, when we figured out we need to raise the money, it was kind of the end of history. We just, we need to figure out the way how that money is going to get into the Chile. So that's why I had to create an NGO to... Um, right, so, th so that it could be tax deductible. Exactly. Right. So that's happened like three years ago. Nicolas David buy the land. And he bought uh, it from the Frenchman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He bought it from the Frenchman, and uh, and then we started raising money until just a couple months ago. Patagonia put the last donation, and uh, we ju we just pay kind of like now now in the November 15 is gonna be the ceremony. Like we're gonna say finally, we give it back the money of the. To Nicolas, less than twenty five percent what he put on the from his pocket to the project, right. and uh, and we are actually working on the point already to reforestate the thing. Like put the new cactus, it is an iconic cactus in Chile and Lobos. You can see in the whole cliff those big ones. I go around, they're beautiful. So we now like put ropes in the cliffs. People understand what is the fundación, but at that point it was like three years. Like mostly people don't trust. In the fundacion, don't trust in Nicola. Obviously, don't trust in me because I was kind of like, oh, you're no hanging one, out with yeah. you're hanging out with this millionaire exactly you are tycoon. Not, yeah. And the, whoa, yeah, that you are not the real deal. You know, you say you want to protect the point. You're you're supposedly you're keeping into your roots, but you're now talking with the millionaire and like 
mostly people kind of locks that um don't have a confidence in what i'm doing you know they said you know what this guy make money basically i was like a lot of people in ramones a sellout yeah Whoa. yeah so but I, in my roots i would know exactly every single meeting i have like man you have millionaires you know you have money i mean if something going wrong in this campaign or if you want to like mess with me or if you or if you do something wrong at the point what i have is my name you know it's the only thing i have um, I'm, uh, if it's something going wrong under my name uh, i'm not gonna have mo- nothing else in my life you know I'm, i make my name for surfing big waves and and traveling around the world or whatever but uh, and for being an honest person who your community yeah. can trust and it's it's pretty much basically what i have yeah you know if he, if he that if he, he if I was trust in him, he do something wrong. I your, mean, your name would have exactly been smeared you know? through the mud. So that it was those years like crazy years. You know, I had a lot of pressure and a lot of time working, a lot of time in meetings and everything. My wife told me like, you know what? You spend so much time and some some days ways are firing. You have these meetings trying to figure out how the contract is gonna be, and you know, spend time with the family. You're and you don't make any money with this thing, you know? Right. That was like, like, it's crazy times, you know? Yeah, all those years I had my baby, he's already seven, but he was between two and, and five years old when the whole thing happened. Was there a moment that, or a meeting with Nicholas that you decided that you could trust this guy? Because yeah. at any point he could have pulled out and said, nah, Screw you guys! I'm gonna build a hotel on the point. No, there is a, there is a moment for sure because uh, we working really good uh, as a team with Chris Evans, which was working in Patagonia those years. So uh, Chris Evans is the director of Latin America, correct? Yeah, for in those years, yeah. for those years at Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and obviously Patagonia have a lot of knowledge how to do these things, you right? Know? Because they have a huge environmental department and they work with NGOs around the world. So that was the key. That was the key when uh, when Chris Evans and studying tag with Patagonia and Patagonia support the movie, Patagonia support the project. They put day lawyers, the one they have in in the Pumalin Park, the the Tompkins uh, lawyers, to work in the project to figure out how they're gonna make the contract. So Doug Tompkins is the founder of North Face, and he previously bought a lot of land in the south of Chile and turned it into a land trust so that it could never be developed upon. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. He's, for me, he's a hero. For, in those years, and, uh, and that's, I was talking with Chris uh, Tompkins the other day, um, uh, Dr. Tompkins' wife, and, uh, with, and I tell the same history I have now with Lobos. Like, a lot of people don't trust in me, and I, when I was a kid, when they're buying those lands in the South, there was a mostly country of Chile don't trust in them either you know because like who is this guy from america just coming here and buy pretty much the whole region of chile uh, the patagonia park right now and the pumalin park i believe is one of the third biggest park in the whole world it's crazy how much land it is and they do the land trust and everything so she said like yeah people is like that you don't do it this for you want to like uh, make people happy or like make people talk good things about you you do it because you feel it you know so that was a huge inspiration for me anyways and um okay to to kind of like end this story when the day lawyers started working this project i really trusted everyone i was like you know what now i can pretty much breathe relax because uh, i know these guys doing a good job i know patagonia is if patagonia put the name on it 
and the project they're gonna be behind and, and gonna be in on the legal aspect of what I don't know about it you know I'm starting working that's what I say I'm no environmentalist because I'm starting working just because I feel it in in, in the deep in my heart but I, if you're talking about laws and that kind of things and like proper words to say to somebody I have no idea. I'm, you know, I'm just a surfer. I'm studying in the university to be a chef and, and my surfing skill going up and, and that's it. But I have not the tools to uh, understand all the Chilean laws and everything. Now I'm starting studying, trying to figure out how it is and, and every day I learn a little bit more. But in, in, in those years when I started with the project was just because I feel it. Were there any moments when you were in the heat of it trying to get your community to trust you and trust this millionaire that there was a time when like just like a moment when it was the hardest that it's a couple a couple months like when like yeah. when community members were coming yeah. after you is there anything that you can speak to on that yeah i mean um i i'm really lucky my family really know me really good my dad and they support me all the time and and my good friends are always with me and and then trust me so i get really stick together with them but i was a couple of months of of, of those years i want not even show up to the point you know i don't want to even go surfing there because i was all these people just talking and talking and talking and and, uh, at one point like i was talking with a friend he told me like you know what what you're doing is great you are the only guy spend time and working for this and most of the people that are talking shit about you, they don't do absolutely nothing. Just talk. So forget about it. Keep going. And if you know you're you're doing the the right thing, if you know you, it is real what you're doing and and uh, it is the real deal, just keep going, you know, because the people actually know you, they know you're going to go do the job. And if this project come up and, and actually finish and you're actually going to protect the point, all these people at one point they're gonna need to you know eat that things that what they <laughs> say to you. <laughs> I'm gonna say they eat that shit, but you know, and it, and it's true. So the whole thing happened, the contract happened, and Patagonia gets supported, and and uh, and like I say right now, basically all those rumors that people don't trust in, in the whole project and the people was working on the project, uh, it come out just on the good way perfect the point is already protected the, the point is already by it so for that and for the movie for what we do in Lobos the whole uh, marketing campaign we do that a lot of people talking like who is this guy from Santiago who is this surfer from Pichilem we just buy a land to protect it you know and uh, it's starting to come up pretty big you know the foundation right now is pretty big in Chile so that we get invited to all these uh, environmental things or ocean meetings. Like I meet the, with the first minister of the state actually three years ago in the, uh, in the Our Ocean Conference in Chile. Uh, John Kerry, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And John uh, Kerry? Yeah. 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 John Kerry, the, the vice president? Vice president. Vice president, yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> former, was, vi- former vice president John Kerry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of people. You know, I mean, a lot of people I meet and these things, and then I'm starting to understand, and, and we get invited how we protect the lobos because it's something new to do and in the coast of Chile, and uh, we get to this point right now. It's like government people connect to us to try and how we can do this, how we're gonna work in this. Can you help in that? And uh, 
it's crazy. Like I, I was, I received a, a call last week for the um, minister of um, environment, environmental in Chile. He called me to my cell phone, and I, you know, what? we're gonna launch this um, amazing campaign, which is, I'm really agree about it. The president is gonna make this new law to prohibit the plastic bag on the whole coastline of Chile. And uh, they wanted, basically, I'm, I'm the face of the project. So like, wow, that sounds great. Uh, send me the project, I wanna read it with the lawyers and understand exactly what it is. And and if it's all right, for sure, I wanna work in that because it's kind of like a dream come true, you know, the plastic bags and in, in, in basically in the whole world is a main problem. But uh, uh, in Chile and also South America, the education is, is not that good to people understand how important is don't dump trash in, in, in the ocean and uh so you're starting to feel some ownership from government adopting this new paradigm where where they're adopting this idea that chile could be this country where the natural resources um are valued more than just uh an economy of extraction which for the last um, few decades has been the paradigm um, amongst wealthy people and government officials in Chile. I believe it's a mix of both because right now government obviously understand tourists is, is a big business for Chile. You know, the numbers of tourists go up like crazy. For surf, for uh, mountains, for Torres del Paine, winery, Chile is, is a beautiful place. The desert is a lot of people going just to check out the desert. So then starting to understand that the numbers go up, the tourists give you more jobs, the economy of the tourists is, is growing and growing and growing in, in a good way. So they understand they need to get, take care of the place. I believe. I don't know if it that gonna happen because that the, the thing about politicians you never can trust. What we're gonna have election now in November? What is gonna happen with the new president? But if it's something going on the good way right now, I'm happy to help. You know. So to. Uh, Break down some of the specifics of the land acquisition because that's really interesting to me because it seems like a new, um, a new deal that hadn't been done before. So Nico Davis bought the point, but then along with your film, when you were touring around, there was a crowdfunding campaign where you were getting um, donors from all over the world to pitch in mm -hmm. and say, "Hey, we want to buy this from Nico Davis, and if you help pitch in, you are." Uh, protecting this point from now until forever because it will be put into a trust where no one then can ever develop on this part of the point. Exactly. Right. So that was done. And then uh, as well as then Patagonia donated. There was Patagonia and it was um, Marisla. It's another NGO from here. Okay. They, they put a lot of money. So the, between those, it's kind of like the main donors. We, the, we, we, we make the whole money to buy the point. But it's basically the model that, that was new, was to use funding from a variety of sources and then a contract that was written up that would turn private land into a trust so that it could never be developed upon. Exactly. And yep. that seems like what's, what's exciting to me about that is that today we live in a world where corporations are gaining more and more power. They have more and more money. And for a company like Patagonia to... And, and to for a company like Patagonia to use corporate power for environmental conservation and then have that be a call to action to other companies is something that's exciting to me because corporations aren't losing any power anytime soon. And if you can 
uh, persuade or cajole them into using that power on behalf of land conservation, then it could be a scalable model. That's right. right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And these other companies don't do it. So that's that's the great thing about like when you find a partner like Patagonia to do the things, you know, because there's massive companies in the world, they, they don't care about it, you know? Uh, I mean, in a, if you're working with the sport, you, obviously you need to protect those places where the sport it is, you know? You obviously need to protect the mountains, you obviously need to protect the, the waves and everything. So it's like, things like for us is really obviously, for mostly people don't understand yet. But um, like getting to, back to the point, it's like, now the whole community of Pichilemu understand how important it was to protect the point. Because right now it's kind of like in the whole coast and it's changed every month, there is no more open access to the beach, you know. That if you're driving now from Pichilemu all the way through Lobos, the only place with no constructions in the first line is Punta de Lobos. It's the only one, you know. And uh, if you're driving south of Pichilemu, all the, the lots are on sale right now and it's not going to be accessed anyway. So the only part, and kind of like the only park actually, in the whole Pichilemo is the point. So local people are happy with that. And now we have started to receive like amazing feedback from everyone because n- pretty much the mission is is done. And the first part, because we want to th- think bigger and uh, we want to buy the second part of the point, the whole border, you know, you remember it's three sections of the wave? The yeah. El, Mi- El Mirador all the way to the hotel. That border we actually want to buy and do the same project, the for- reforestation there and and protect that piece of land because we believe uh, nobody's going to do it for us, obviously, and we believe it is a big opportunity to give back something to to the new generations. And now in a couple of weeks, you're going to be back down in Chile and there's going to be a huge dedication and paddle out and media. And what's the message? So this is going to be a, most likely a major media story throughout Chile. What's the message that you want to convey to the people of Chile and to the people of the world um, when this dedication happens? Well, I believe he, uh, I'm, I get emotional when I talk about it this dream come true, you know, and it's basically, if you have something to say, it's, it's like you're never, ne- like the classic uh, typical phrase everyone say, but never forget your roots, you know, never forget where you come from. And uh, for me, that's why the main uh, motivation to, to trying to make this project in Lobos, because uh, I grew up there and my first memories is on the point. My dad used to live right, right on the point where the cross is. He have a little tiny, shelter like that and he lived there with my mom and fishing the whole summertime and uh and uh, first memory i have with like i remember just here the the lobos all the rocks there was so many seals in the rock and they screaming every night and i was like whoa what is that noise and there was waves there for sure i always see the waves i never look as a surfer but um i was tripping to go fishing and and and, and help my dad to to get the kelp to get the seaweed and mussels and everything so when I when I figured out that point, we can maybe lost that point for environmental things. I, I'm starting fighting with that, and and if I have to give a message now to the people, it's like never forget your roots and 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 keep it straight fighting for your dreams, no matter how big they are, because at one point something good is gonna happen if you do the, th- the good things in your life. You know that the the whole universe is gonna turn around you if you always think positive. 
even that big, you know. And then my point is like, it's just honor to be part of the whole project. You know, I was a fisherman son from Pichilemo who want to buy a one million dollar land. It was a million dollars. That was yeah. the the yeah. land price. Yeah, that was the land price. And uh, if you take as a Chilean, I mean, for you guys, a piece of land is way more than that. But for Chile, that's so much money. You know, I mean. I know you guys in Laguna or those places you 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 cannot buy a piece of land with that money, but for Chile and uh, especially when you where you're a fisherman, son, like how the hell are gonna get one million dollar <laughs> to buy this point? And it's a lot of people like sounds sounds epic idea, but how are you gonna do it? You know, and uh, and uh, to be right now November 15 is gonna be the ceremony to celebrate what we done. It's really emotional for me, you know. It's like we protect Punta de Lobos, actually. You know, my son is gonna be see the point exactly when I saw, and uh, we're gonna reforestate it, so it's gonna actually get even better than when I saw when I was a kid. And the kid or my kid is gonna see the thing, and every single people in the world can went back to Lobos one day to surf or or just to wash. It's gonna be the same, you know. And it's gonna be only place in the whole uh, city protected. It, it it it's a dream come true, you know. And uh, what is more amazing about it is like we hold these things, we all these people we introduced to Nicholas Davis, we introduced to Chris Tompkins, you know, meet Yvonne Chunar, meet Melinda. Uh, we get invited to all these environmental meetings. We we meet the the real environmentalist people, like really working for amazing projects in the whole world. And and we're starting like Nico starting like get like you know what I love this thing you know um, Chris uh, Chris Tomkin talked with Nico a couple of times like you know what keep going keep going do it do it pour more money environmental things so now as a foundation we're gonna try and think bigger and uh, we're starting working with a group of lawyers to try to uh, make a national law to protect waves you know. Sounds like another big dream, but uh, uh, for me right now, there is no impossible dreams. And uh, if he, if he, we have all these little marketing environmental things to trying to do things, and the politician is starting like uh, maybe see boats or whatever, uh, I want to take that, and I want to take that to use it in a good way. You know, I believe it's a massive opportunity now. Peru already done the national law to protect waves, so we ha- we have ours. And neighbors with this law already working, so that is example what I show you to the government and politician every meeting I have like man, Peru already did do this, Peru understand how important it is to take care of natural resources in a special way because there's so many people from the world coming to the country and put money into the country just to enjoy the waves. you know there is we have amazing waves in Chile as a new government you give uh, you spend so much money to make a soccer stadium. And uh, Punta de Lobos is a soccer stadium. You don't have to do nothing; just protect it. And Buchuboreo and all those ways in in the south. You know there is there are national resources for sport. And what you have to do it is just like okay, take care of the the border of the line. That's it. And uh, this for me is like uh, something like I can give it back to the ocean uh, to the waves for all they give give it to me. And I believe this is an important thing uh, for surfers, you know. 
we are not only can be uh, selfish and thinking about getting ways, me winning contests, uh, I get the biggest wave, or more radical air or whatever. Like, what you gonna give it back to the ocean for all those great moments they give it to you? And and that's basically what I, I want to keep uh, so in my life working for it. So if there's a surfer listening to this who wants to get involved and protect their own piece of land, what would you recommend for them to be the first steps that they could take? Would there be a website that they could go to? I know that savethewaves.org does a lot of good work around the world with this. Um, but even more on like the the internal level, like if you were to talk to a surfer who wanted to protect their own point, what would that conversation sound like? What would the what are the questions that they should be asking themselves? Yeah, you know what the crazy about thing is so many ways and every scenario is different. That's that's the crazy things, you know, because every single scenario to protect a place is, is different. Sometimes like it could be by the land, sometimes maybe the owner of the land is a surfer or they wanna do something or, or you can present a beautiful project to them, how to you, because there is one thing, you know, that there is two things here like when you put it in the table, it is, you can develop that place. You can you can make a construction of that place if you do it in the, in the good way, you know? If you make understand an owner of, I don't know, the land who is amazing point break, he, he's the owner of the whole land. Man, you can make money with this. The same money if you want to make a hundred houses. You know what? Let's think about it. What about if you sell it to 10 guys and I can work with you and show how amazing this wave it is and let's figure out a way how to build in the, with the less impact and sell it to the right people and you're going to make twice the money and the, the point is going to be protected. You know, there is, there is no rules to protect a wave. That's, I believe, what I'm learning all these years. Is there is every spot is going to be different and every project is going to be different. But uh, what are the core ingredients that are needed through every one of them? Passion, I, I guess, is one of the big ones. You need to be, um, we call it in Chile, cabeza dura. Like, uh, ¿Cómo se dice cabeza dura? Heart, uh, head. Heart, head. Heart and head. Heart, yeah. Hard-headedness. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be hard-head. Yeah, you need to just keep on going and going and going. It's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but uh, if you have a passion, if you know exactly what you want to do, and if you trust in yourself, it is possible. It is possible. And maybe and maybe you're not going to want all the battles, but if you want one, if you win one, you can win more. Exactly. One, what one man can do, another can do. Exactly. We 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 trying to help in the project in Portesillo a little bit, but uh, we lost the battle already. The the owner just um, make a huge lot and building everything already, and don't respect the dunes, don't respect nothing, and and the whole thing is is a mess. Kind of like really sad. Portesillo is another amazing wave in, in close to Pichilemu, but. We won Lobos, and uh, now there are more battles ahead. Exactly, exactly. Where can people get in touch with you? Um, Surf Navarro. Surf Navarro. I'm Surf Navarro on Instagram, Surf Ramon Navarro on Facebook, and uh, we trying, we're trying to just change things a little bit, you know, like. Trying to do something back to the people, and, and that feels great. That feels great, you know. Like I was talking with my dad the other day. Like 
yeah, we're going to do the ceremony. They buy us already land. Actually, my daddy is working on the, on the foundation to, like, take care of the place. They love the place. So he's like, no, this cactus was here. So he's working with the people working the reforestation of cactus. And he know every single rock where the fish are and everything. Because so he, he grew up on the point. He grew up there. He grew up there. So for him, make his really proud what happened right now. Because uh, for for him, it's like, and this is another important thing kind of clicked my mind when I was a little kid and, and maybe going to go back a little back in the story but I, I believe it's a good one I remember was like 12 years old around there I was already diving with my dad starting to learn how to dive and then one day the ocean was completely flat clean water and I went oh dad what let's go to that crazy place there a little more north because it's epic it's, it's the best diving we ever, I ever made and uh I know for you is so much fish and so much mass and everything. And he told me that, you know what? We were not allowed to go there because the owner of the land don't want people this week there. And I was kind of like shocking me that news, you know, because like, what? It's the ocean. We're going to go diving. What? How we cannot get access there? No, the owner of the land just locked the door and maybe next week he's going to open again. So that thing is stuck in my mind forever until the point grow up and I started to figure out it was true. And not many things changed, but that was kind of the big motivation to start fighting against. Do you remember the moment when you got to tell your dad that you that Punta de Lobos campaign was a success? Was there a, a moment? He's, I mean, he, he's he's in the whole moment with me. We, we, we spent a lot of time together. We talk a lot. Um, so... Step by step, he he understand what happened. So he's really proud. He not he he's not, he's not the guy like really want to say to you like I'm proud for you, you know. But when he meets with his friends, the friends then tell me like you know what your dad is so proud of what you do and the whole thing is like I believe he not had the skill to say me in front to to me, but um, uh, I know he is. You know, I bring once to here once to. California, first time he ever jumped in an airplane. We stopped by Bone House. We stayed there a couple of days. He got diving. We went to Hawaii. So it's like, on those kind of things, he have that view, you know, like, okay, yeah, now I understand why you think this way because, you know, walking through the North Shore, the free access to the beach, uh, the, the the whole project got uh, doing in there, the conservation project in Hawaii, how clean the beach are, like, tagging with Yvonne and me California things like kind of open up his eyes and uh and uh, that's, that's why I believe he's he's really proud and understand the whole project what we're doing now right on man thanks for taking the time I was epic thank you to you man I was really scary about uh do a podcast I have no idea what it is actually lucky I hear the one the psychedelic one yesterday <laughs> I tried to understand everything and it was it was really fun and uh kind of like it man like Maybe I'm, I need to start working this. Let's do more. Any yeah. anytime you want to come back, man. Yeah, I believe it is a big um, it is a big opportunity in conservation things and trying to put more people involved because every people can help in, in a big way, you know. And uh, if he, if you win one guy jumping with us to try and uh, protect our world, that's a win. Right on, Ramon. Thank you so much. 
That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Get in touch with Ramon if you enjoyed it. My guests always love hearing from you. I'm going to leave you with a song called Jama by Amadeu and Miriam. They are a blind couple who come from the country of Mali. Before you take off, don't forget to head over to coresurf.com. That's C-O-R surf.com and get 30% off anything that they sell by typing in the code name Kyle 30. I'll see y'all next week. Until then, get out in the water, give someone a high five, have a beautiful day. Can you dig it again?